You're listening to the Bold Face Truth Podcast with Amy Green Smith, episode 494. You can find information on anything referenced in this week's episode at amygreensmith.com slash EP494. Oh, well, hey there. Check you out listening to self-help pods and working on yourself. Fuck yeah. Quick question. You know those situations where your boss asks you to take on one more thing, or your partner asks what's bothering you, and you respond with a bold-faced lie? Oops. What would shift for you if you actually started telling the bold-faced truth? Everything. Listen, if you struggle with people-pleasing, perfectionism, and you could use some help with boundaries or speaking up, you are in the right place. Thank God. I am Amy Green-Smith. I'm a certified and credentialed life coach, hypnotherapist, and keynote speaker. Fancy. And I've been working in the personal development space since the mid-2000s. Vintage. Sometimes I'll be solo, other times you'll hear from smart folks offering you easy-to-implement tools to help you tell the bold-faced truth. Yes! Well, hello, pod people. Amy here. I'm back. I'm back and better than ever, I'd like to think. I took the last two weeks off, so thank you so very much for your grace and understanding. Sometimes producing and distributing a podcast every single week can be a decent amount of effort. So every once in a while, I need to just take a little bit of a break. So I really hope that you took that opportunity to dig into some of the free sources that I have for you. If you haven't gotten your hands on them, I have a workbook as well as a hypnosis track that you can score over at amygreensmith.com slash free, or just click on free sources and you'll see a handful of items for you. But today we're going to be talking about some communication hacks. And I think there are a lot of pieces of advice that circulate out there around how to have challenging, difficult conversations, how to say no. But I think it's really helpful to have really short, easy to implement tactics that you can employ that make your job so much easier. Because a lot of times the advice that we see is around you and I statements like, well, I feel this. And when you do this, it makes me feel this way. And I think that is a great idea, but it can also create a lot of defensiveness on the other person's behalf. So I'm going to be giving you a handful of things that I think can be helpful for you, whether you're trying to say no and establish a boundary, whether you're having a difficult conversation. So this is going to be sort of a a higher level meta view of communication tactics. And they're going to be in multiple different areas of your life. So I want you to think about as we go through today, which one of these are the most applicable to you? What could you implement right now? Because as you've heard me say many times in the past, nothing is going to change unless you start to do things differently. So just because you consume information about a new way to communicate doesn't mean that you're actually going to implement it. So with all of these, I'm going to try to detail specific actionable steps that you can take so that it makes things much, much easier. So let's jump in. Now, number one is going to be asks you to do something for them, and you absolutely know that you need to say no or you need to politely decline. And so number one is buy yourself some time. So here's what I want you to do around this. I want you to develop 
a very specific phrase that you can say when, number one, you're caught off guard, or number two, you need to say no, but you need to gather your thoughts for a minute before you just outright say no. And this is helpful so you don't just start saying yes to everything and then either backtracking later or feeling stretched to the limit and completely overwhelmed because you've overextended yourself. So buying yourself some time, what this would look like is if somebody said to you, hey, is there any way that you could take my carpool day for the kids on Friday? And you know that that is going to throw your day into a complete upheaval, and it's gonna it's gonna have a pretty significant effect. So it's a difficult yes for you to comply with. Now there are going to be times when you do want to say yes or you do want to help people out. I'm not talking about that necessarily. I'm talking about when you know saying yes will be a cost to you. So say something like, "How soon do you need to know?" That's a great question to counter their original question to help you discern, is this something that I have some wiggle room around where I could actually come through for them? And then my favorite thing to say, if they say, I really need to know soon, or I need to know by tonight, or I need to know right now, is to say, you know what, I would hate to leave you high and dry, so I'm going to politely decline. I would hate to have to pull out later or something like that. But what I want you to do is decide what exactly do you want to say when a boss says, hey, can you come in on Saturday or can you stay a few hours later tonight? Asking them, okay, do you need to know right now or can I think about it? You know, is there any sort of wiggle room? Buy yourself some time. I've even suggested to people if you are in a situation where you can't think straight to just say, you know what, hold that thought for a second. I'll be right back and go run to the car, run to the bathroom, go do something else that that seems as though it's urgent to tend to just to give yourself some freedom to contemplate the yes. Do I actually want to say yes to this? Because most of the time we have this knee-jerk reaction and that's what we need to start changing is instead of being the totally girl or the yes woman, We want to be able to say yes and genuinely be able to follow through on that or be able to say no with integrity. So that's number one, buy yourself some time. Number two, this applies more to having an in-depth conversation or sometimes a boundary conversation. And it's using the word intention. And you can use it by addressing your own intention. And you can also use it assuming their intention. So let's say... You have a family member who is always making snide comments about your body or saying something that is offensive to you. Or maybe it's somebody at work who is always joking about something that you don't find funny. You can use the word intention by saying something like, hey, listen, I'm sure it's not your intention to offend me or I'm sure it's not your intention to make things awkward in the workplace. But I wanted to let you know that when these sorts of things are mentioned, it's really uncomfortable for me. And here's my request. I would I would really appreciate it if you didn't say things like that in front of me, right? Like having some sort of request can also be extremely helpful as opposed to just saying, hey, stop being a dick or you're being a dick or I don't like your behavior. <laughs> Instead to say, hey, listen, that didn't land well with me. I'd appreciate it if you would refrain from that in my presence or in my company. 
You can also talk about your own intention. So you, let's say you're telling a family member that you can't or you won't rather come to their house for the holidays and you normally always do. So you might use the word intention by saying, please, no, it is not at all my intention to create upheaval in the family or to hurt anybody's feelings. And then you can say what your intention actually is. Truly, what my intention is, is to have some really carved out, dedicated family time for just the two of us or to celebrate holidays just with our nuclear family here at the house. Something like that, where you can say, this is not my intention and this other thing is my intention. Number three is a little bit more vulnerable and it's to call out your emotions. Now, this does not have to be as terrifying as it sounds. You might be going into a conversation with somebody and you're really worried about what they might think or you're nervous about approaching a brand new topic with them. Maybe you're in a new relationship or maybe you're taken off guard. Just stating your current emotional state can help really disarm both parties, especially if you're feeling really awkward. Because a lot of the time when we go into these difficult conversations, it feels like an imminent sense of danger, of threat. And what happens when we feel threatened? We go into our sympathetic nervous system. We go into fight, flight, freeze, fawn. So if we're fighting, if we're fleeing, if we're fawning or freezing, then we're not really taking in the information that the other person's saying. We're not consciously digesting the information and giving a thoughtful response or retort. We just get stuck in this combat of, oh my God, they're accusing me of something. So calling out how you're feeling as opposed to going into defensiveness can be really, really helpful. And I'm not necessarily talking about divulging all of the inner workings of how you feel and all your innermost demons. No, 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 no. I'm just saying if you're really stressed out or if you're really overwhelmed or nervous to have this conversation, say that. At the beginning, say, gosh, I'm just, I'm really nervous to have this conversation with you, you know, something like that. Or I I can feel that I'm super nervous about this because the last thing I would want is for you to feel unloved or for you to think that I don't care about you, right? Like you can say, these are my fears that it will land in a way that I don't intend. You can say those things. You can say, to be honest, I'm I'm a little caught off guard by that. Wow, I'm a bit shocked. I'm going to need a few minutes to process that before I come back to you. Or let me think about what you just said, and I'm going to circle back with you in an hour or in a day or something like that. So just flexing that small little piece of vulnerability can be wildly disarming to the other person. So instead of starting a conversation by saying, we needed to talk and here's all the things that I'm upset with you about and here's what I want to be different, if you start off by saying, gosh, I'm a little flustered or I feel a little nervous or I've been really frustrated and I've realized that you would probably have no idea that that's what's going on with me and that's really unfair to you. And that leads me very nicely into number four, which is take responsibility. You can take responsibility for things without saying that you are wrong. And that's one of the things that I think we don't understand 
is it doesn't always have to be about fighting for rightness, who's right. It's about figuring out how does that person operate. Usually we want to talk about the logistics, like who loaded the dishwasher the right way or the wrong way, who's filling out the reports the right way or the wrong way. And what's really important is the root issue, how we actually feel about those things. But most of the time, we just want to fight about who's right. No, you load the dishwasher this way, or it doesn't make sense to park the car over there, or why did you fill out those reports this way? And we want to fight and fight and fight about that because there's zero emotional investment. But if you actually said to a boss, hey, listen, I'm sure this is not your intention, again, using one of your hacks, but I will say that when these sorts of things happen in the workplace or when this is the structure or this is the procedure, this is how it feels on my end. So if you're able to say, I don't know if I can continue on with this level of stress. It is really taking a toll on me or being really clear about how this surface issue of the reports or the dishwasher or whatever, how that's actually affecting you. And it's far more vulnerable to do. It's not safe to do with every single person in your life. But most of the time, people do respond well to you expressing vulnerably what's happening for you. Taking responsibility can be as simple as claiming how you interpreted the situation and saying, I really looked at things through this lens, and I just want to share with you that I don't know if that was entirely fair to you. Or perhaps I was looking at it through a really myopic lens, and now I I really am seeing that there's a different side to this story, and I, I care about you and I want to understand. Taking responsibility might also be about what you have or haven't said. You might still feel very frustrated or even victimized by somebody and still be able to say, hey, it's on me that I never expressed this to you or that when I did express this to you, I was always yelling and screaming or I need to take responsibility that I've been telling my best friend how frustrated I am, but I have not talked to you directly about it. So don't misinterpret that taking responsibility is the same thing as agreeing with the other person. It's not. It's recognizing what do I need to do to keep my side of the road clean? Have I given that other person every single opportunity to be what I need by being crystal clear, by being kind, by being soft, by having specific requests? Have I done that? Not necessarily have they done something wrong to me? Are they in? Are they ill-intended? None of that stuff. We're not responsible for them. Are we affected? Most of the time, yes. But we can't deliberately make them change. All we can do is take accountability for our own actions. So number four, take responsibility of how you interpreted the situation, what you have or have not said, and your delivery, what your tone of voice has been like. Number five, use humor and sarcasm with a massive caveat here. There are plenty of family dynamics or workplace scenarios where there's a very specific culture that's happening inside that nuclear unit. And sometimes 
Those workplaces or those family environments are very sarcastic, sometimes crude, sometimes yelling and screaming. And if that is the nature of the culture, you can absolutely use that, but you have to go a step further. So let's say you are with a bunch of family over the holidays and somebody makes a really crude kind of misogynistic joke. And the nature of your family is for everybody to kind of razz each other or laugh it off. And if anyone says anything, then it's, oh, gosh, you're being such a pussy or you're being such a baby or you're so sensitive or all that really misogynistic patriarchal bullshit that goes along with being a woman in this society. (laughs) But you're not going to stand for that anymore. So another thing that you could do is like laugh along and be like, oh, I guess I guess you didn't get the memo. We're not we're not doing that anymore. We're not talking about women like that anymore. (laughs) You know what, though, in all seriousness. So you have to use an addendum at the end. All joking aside, that is pretty misogynistic. I'd appreciate it if you didn't say that kind of stuff in front of us. So you have to take that joke and move it into something serious in a way that is more disarming. Because if you stand there on your high horse and and very justly so, say, wow, that's fucking offensive. You have every right to do that. But you are more likely to elicit that defense from that other person because now it feels like an attack. Do you owe it to them? Fuck no. But if we are looking for a smooth transition and we want these awkward ass situations to be a little bit more palatable and you want to come across with grace and poise, then this is a more suitable tactic. The other thing about this is you are far less likely to be written off as too emotional, as being aggressive, as being bitchy or sarcastic or all these things if you handle yourself with poise and grace. So saying something like, well, patriarchy ruins the party again. <laughs> no, but seriously, all joking aside, that that's pretty hurtful to the woman in the room. So I'd, I'd appreciate it if you'd refrain from that sort of comment. Now, With this, you need to, first of all, know your environment. You need to know what your family is like. You need to know what your workplace is like. You need to know what they respond well to and what they don't. And you need to be ready to walk away from the situation, to not continue to engage. Because I will tell you, there are some very fragile egos out there that once they are called out on something, they want to make the other person suffer. So you have to do it in a way where you are claiming your power. Knowing what the comments are usually going to be is really, really helpful. I call that gearing up where you can prepare ahead of time. And you can go, here's what my uncle's likely to say or here's what my aunt's likely to say. And here's what I want to say in response. And you have to write it down and you need to practice. So if it's constantly misogynistic stuff, then you know that you can say something like, tell us you hate women without telling us you hate women, you know, something like that. Like you have to have go-to statements that are sort of in your back pocket and you have to rehearse them. Number six is to avoid the word you. Now, this is not hard and fast. I'm saying avoid, not eliminate, because sometimes you really do need to use the word you. But if you remove that from your vocabulary, it is incredibly disarming 
For example, if I wanted to talk to my husband, let's say, and I feel like he's being really controlling about a situation. He's, he can be extremely controlling about driving and directions and which way we're going and, and all of that. So if I want to have a conversation with him about that, instead of saying, you are so controlling, which immediately puts somebody on the defensive, if I say instead, it seems as though there might be some controlling behavior that's happening here, you know, something like that, where you are outlining it, but you're not being so accusational, like you, 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 you. If your partner comes home and they're really upset and really frustrated and they're nitpicking you about stuff and you're going, I don't feel like this is really about me. I feel like this is, they had a shitty day and they're kind of taking it out on me. Instead of saying, I think you had a bad day and now you're taking it out on me to say, I'm wondering if there is some stuff that happened at work today or some overwhelm. It seems like there's a bit more of a bite to this conversation. That might go over much better than saying, you're taking everything out on on me today. Even saying something like, I'm wondering if there's something else at play here or calling out an emotion like it seems like defensiveness is really coming in strong instead of saying you are defensive. Play around with that. One thing that you can do with this, if you have a close ally, a friend, a sibling, a coworker, you can practice this. You can practice having conversations with one another without saying you. And that can be a really, really helpful tactic to use, especially when you want to be disarming with somebody who tends to go to the defensive quite quickly. Number seven, create go-to statements. This is what I've been talking about kind of throughout this episode. I want you to write out specifically what you want to say. For example, with number one, when somebody wants something from you or is asking for your labor and you know that you cannot commit to one more thing, what is it that you are going to say in order to buy yourself some more time? I love the go-to question of how soon do you need to know? I also love the go-to statement of, will you hold that thought for one second? Or would you excuse me for one minute? I'll be right back. Something like that. And that becomes now your go-to statement. Maybe if it's with your family or your workplace and you know that they're oftentimes razzing each other or there's a lot of humor and sarcasm, you might have a statement around misogynistic comments or racist comments, but you have to decide on what that is and rehearse it. You need to write it out and rehearse it. Try it over and over and over again. Because your people-pleasing tendencies or your shut-down and be-quiet tendencies are going to continue to win unless you start paving a new habit. And that doesn't happen unless we, first of all, examine our own behavior and realize that something needs to change. Awareness is the win. Then we have to decide what are we going to change? What are we going to substitute instead of saying like, sure, sure, I'll take over carpool duty for two fucking weeks or, you know, whatever you just blindly and absentmindedly just say yes to. Sure, totally. All right, I'm in. You may want another go-to statement if you have something that happens in your partnership, like they tend to take their work frustration out on you. You might have a statement you want to create around that that's avoiding the word you. Like, it seems as though there might be some stress from work present. I'm going to go 
I'm going to go in the other room and just and take a load off. You're more than welcome to join me. That might be your go-to statement. For me, if there's ever a situation where somebody's name-calling, where there's blaming, where there's really loud voices, that is when I will use my go-to statement of, I'm happy to continue this conversation, but not if you continue to speak to me in that manner. That's sort of my stock statement that I've got if somebody is losing their shit on me. I can calmly say, I'm happy to continue this with you, but not if you speak to me in that way. And that's a really great example of addressing what's happening in the actual conversation. The, I call it the conversation container as opposed to the content. It's not about the battle of those reports should be done this way versus that way. It's about this method of communication is not working for me. And that's a really difficult thing to discern. In fact, with my Worthy group, Worthy is my signature program, that's something that we're constantly talking about because we get real sucked into fighting over the content, who was right, who was wrong, instead of, oh, the way you are speaking to me is not sustainable. I cannot keep conversing with you if you are yelling and screaming or if there's not an element of calmness. That's what I mean by looking at the conversational container. Is this person hurling insults? Are they taking any responsibility? Are they in an acute emotional state? Is it actually safe to keep conversing with them about this? All of those things have to be taken into account. So for number seven, creating go-to statements, I want you to think about all of the instances, all of the situations where you feel like you don't know what to say, whether it's being offended, whether it's learning to say no, whether it's dealing with a partner or a workplace or something like that. What are your specific obstacles? What are the things you get stuck and you go, and you just acquiesce and you do whatever they need and they have no idea that you're building all this resentment? That one is going to be very nuanced because it's applicable to your specific situation and life. So take some time and journal around that. Number eight is to temper your advice. Now, this is a little bit of a different scenario. This is when you have somebody who you love who's coming to you with an issue that they're upset about, whether it is that they just got their ass handed to them by their boss. It could be a friend who's going through a breakup or a divorce. Here's one that you might have caught from our last episode around where self-help goes wrong is seeing something that someone's going through that's reminiscent of something you've already surmounted. And you want to give them all the advice in the world about how to get through it. Perfect example of this, when my father died, everybody wanted to talk to me about how to handle grief. Instead of asking me, what do you need? What do you want right now? Do you want to laugh? Do you want peace and quiet? Do you want to be left alone? Do you want advice? And giving them suggestions, that would have been way more fucking helpful than people saying, here's what you need to do. One of my favorite go-to statements here is if, let's say, Mr. Smith comes to me and he's really frustrated with something in his business, I immediately want to go into marketing and, and problem solving. And most of the time when someone's in that sensitive, emotional place, they want support. They don't usually want problem solving. Not right away, at least. So 
what you can say is, hey, listen, my instinct right now is to give you all this advice. I don't know if that's super helpful. How can I be amazing for you? What would be really helpful to hear? And there are some situations where people don't know, so you can give them suggestions. Like I was saying with grief, I've had numerous friends who've ended up losing a parent or losing somebody close to them. And instead of piling on all the advice from my personal grief experiences, I've given them the option like, hey, listen, I know sometimes you don't even know what you need or what you want. Just know I'm here. If you want to be left alone forever, if you want constant company, if you want meals, if you want ideas, if you want to laugh, you just tell me. And just giving people that freedom helps them become unburdened to the issue they're already going through, right? Like it's already difficult enough to be broken up with or to have a a screaming fight with your boss or to lose a loved one. But to feel like I don't also have to convince this person to be gentle with me (laughs) is so powerful. It's so powerful. So you can acknowledge that that's your instinct. My instinct, my pull is I want to fix this for you. I want to give you all this marketing advice for your business. And that's probably not what you need. So how can I be amazing for you? And Mr. Smith and I have really anchored this in as a go-to question. So when he has just gotten home from work or I've just gotten home from an event, we have this sort of as a go-to autoresponder with one another of what do you need right now? Because we're both in helping professions, we can get very depleted energetically. And sometimes Mr. Smith, when we get home, he'll, he'll say, I don't think I have very many words left. And I'm like, sweet, no problem, no problem. Let's just zone out. And then my cue is to not be offended by that because it has nothing to do with me and to be as supportive as I can. And we've developed little hacks inside our relationship. So if I've had a really, really rough day and I am really would prefer to lean on him and run some stuff by him, but I, I will try to text him and give him a heads up. Like, hey, I've really been going through it today and could really use a shoulder to cry on if you're up for it. And that heads up for him is night and day for him to just gather himself and be ready to support me. And then for me to know that he's also been carrying a lot that particular day and to have an element of compassion for him as well and not make it all about me and my crisis. And then finally, number nine is what I was dancing around earlier around making a request. And this is asking for what you need When I'm super irritable, this is another piece of kind of emotional intelligence, is recognizing, okay, I'm in a really irritable place, and then asking for what I need. For example, when we go to visit folks and we visit a bunch of family and friends and stuff in California, we pack that. I feel like it's a tour, like we're going on our California tour, and I'm constantly meeting with this person for lunch and then seeing these people for dinner and then going over to this pe- people's place to see their kids and all of that stuff. I get real introverted real fucking quickly. And Mr. Smith can do that for months and months and months and be around people all day, every day. I cannot. 
I love to be around folks, but I'm not energized by it. I'm depleted. I'm a true introvert in that way. So there are times on those, quote, vacations slash tours where I have to say, hey, listen, I need to disappear and just curl up with my phone and an audiobook and disappear. And knowing that about one another, we've been able to accommodate that. But knowing that about myself has given me the words to say what I need, to ask for what I need, and to do it in a kind way instead of going like, gosh, why do you have to be around people all the time? God, why? You just want to party nonstop, which he just likes being around people. So instead of making him wrong, really being clear about, oh, he operates in a different way than I do. Here's how he can feel honored, and here's how I can feel honored. Another great way this can show up is when you are going into a conversation and you anticipate that that other person is going to want to give you a bunch of advice and to say, hey, listen, here's what I need. Just I need to say this up front. I really, really just need to be heard or I need compassion. I need hugs. What I don't need are remedies. I don't need solutions or fixing. So you, sometimes it's about getting ahead of that and saying it before the conversation even gets going. You can do this in situations like let's say you're going to visit a bunch of family and you know that the eating arrangement is really weird. Like the stuff they want to cook or that they always want to eat out or it's just not what you want to do or you always get stuck with the bill or something like that. You can ask for what you need ahead of time and make those requests in advance. Like, hey, yeah, I'm so excited to come visit for a week. Hey, I wanted to run some ideas by you regarding our food arrangement. Or I've realized that in the past, this has been sort of the dynamic that happens. Here's what I would like going forward and spelling out a request ahead of time. Now, you don't always get that. You don't always get somebody who is super pumped to give you what you need. But it's about Have I given them the opportunity to be what I need? Have I been clear and kind? Have I been graceful and compassionate? Have I said what I needed in a way where I can actually be heard? And if somebody is starting to give you advice, let's say, when all you need to do is cry, you might have to say in the middle of that, like, hey, listen, I really don't have the mental strength to process suggestions right now. I just need to cry. I just need to get this out of my system. That might be a request in the middle of a difficult conversation. Let's review these. And please know, too, that these are just sort of a sampling (laughs) of the things that I teach in my Worthy program. It's not open right now for registration, but if it's something that you're interested in being on the waiting list for to hear about it when it opens up again next year, you can always go to amygreensmith.com slash worthy, and you'll see an opportunity to sign up to be notified the next time it it opens for applications. So let's do a quick recap. Number one, buy yourself some more time. Again, you're going to decide on the exact phrasing that you want to say, and you're going to write it out and you're going to rehearse it. Number two, working with the word intention, saying something like, I'm sure it's not your intention to come off this way, or I assume you're not intending to come across 
blah, 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 or I would never, ever intend to fill in the blank. Number three, call out your emotions. Again, only if this is a safe environment for you and call out the emotions that are not as vulnerable as some other ones. For example, having a conversation that's that you're nervous about, just say I'm nervous. Hey, I'm kind of nervous to have this conversation. I really appreciate you sitting down with me. Something like that. Number four, take responsibility. Own how you might have interpreted the situation, how you might be looking at it only through your point of view and not through anyone else's. Taking responsibility for what you have said in the past or what you have not said in the past or your delivery. Did you tell them how you feel but you slammed doors and you were yelling and screaming? That's not likely that they are in a place to receive what you are trying to share. Number five, use humor and sarcasm, but only if you can follow it up with in all seriousness, though, or all joking aside, something like that. Number six, avoid using the word you instead of you are so irritable or you're so stressed out and you're taking your day out on me saying something like, it seems as though there's a little bit of stress in the air. I'm going to go have my tea in the other room to just give a little bit of time for decompression. You're more than welcome to join me when you want, right? And so using you in the second part of that sentence totally works because we're not doing anything accusational. So you can say, please feel free if you want to join me, join me. That's not a big deal. But saying you are so stressed or you're taking out your day on me, those are the things that tend to go awry. Number seven, create go-to statements. With all of this stuff that I've outlined, I want you to jot down specific things that you want to be able to say, and I want you to rehearse them. We need to create a new vocabulary memory. So you're not reverting back to just always saying yes or keeping your mouth shut or screaming and yelling like a banshee. Number eight, temper your advice. When we are seeing somebody else who we love, who is in pain, we naturally want to fix it. You can say that if it's to a child, if it's to a parent, like I really want to fix this for you. And that may not be what you need. Right? Again, this might be a statement that you need to write out and rehearse. And number nine, get comfortable asking for what you need with grace, with kindness. Be able to say, I don't need you to fix it right now. What I really, really could use is a shoulder to cry on or tell me it's okay to feel how I feel. A lot of times we don't know how to be amazing for somebody, so we just try to fix it. And that's usually not what the other person needs. So start really crystallizing what it is you need and practice giving voice to that. Sometimes it comes out clunky. Again, you can use that. You can say, I know this is going to come out really messy or I know this is going to sound really clunky and weird, but I don't need fixing of the situation. I just need to cry or I need to be told it's okay to feel how I feel. You can always say like, I feel like this is going to be weird and messy. That's a part of you calling out what's happening for you, calling out your emotional state. All right. So there you have it. Nine different communication hacks. I'm hoping this is helpful for you. Again, please think about which one of these are the most applicable to you and get into action about it. Actually craft these statements, write them down, rehearse them, 
and think about situations where you can use them. Next week, we're going to be talking about more communication stuff. We're going to be looking at how to control your voice. So if you tend to be one of those folks who either holds it all in or unleashes a beast on people, you're definitely going to want to check that out next week. So I will see you around these parts next week. So please remember, you are enough. Your voice matters. So go out there and speak your bold-faced truth. Okay, wait, 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 just one more thing. So these podcasts, it turns out, don't actually rate and review themselves. So I would be over the moon if you would leave a review, rate the show, subscribe, and tell anyone you know who needs to start speaking the fuck up for themselves. And if you do, I will give you a mini pig. Just kidding, but I will be so very incredibly grateful. Okay, thank you. Bye.